Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai, and I am your host. Today, we have one of my very, very good friends on the show, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. But before we get there, I just wanted to give a congratulations to Madison Cawthorn, who was our guest a couple months ago on the pod. He graciously interviewed with us, and now he is all over the news. He has won a huge upset in a congressional primary in North Carolina and has gotten congratulation call from the president and is just rocking it. And to see him doing this and knowing his story and what the Lord has brought him through, he had a 1% chance to live, is paralyzed. And it's just incredible. So I strongly encourage you head back to episode nine and listen to Madison's story. And if you live in North Carolina, consider voting for him in the election this November and supporting him. We're just so, so excited. And then today we have on the show Elizabeth Jordana, who is one of my very good friends. She was actually, when we did Big Sis and Little Sis on the swim team at AM, she was my little sister. And so I got to know her that way and got to walk with her through a couple years of her journey. And she has all kinds of diagnoses and pain and limitation, but she has the most beautiful attitude about it. And I can only say that her perspective is from the Lord. And she is just a testimony to not letting people look down on you because you're young and also to what suffering and the school of suffering can teach you if you surrender it to the Lord, no matter what age you are, it can be used mightily for the kingdom. So I'm going to let her share her story and you sit back, enjoy this wisdom and truth from Elizabeth. Will you tell me a little bit about like your hair? I was like, oh, your hair is so long. Yes. Yeah. We were talking about it, but it's finally as long as the rest of my hair, basically. And so I'll have my first haircut after almost three years where the whole part that was shaved is the same length. And it just, you know, it's really exciting because you don't realize that something as small as your hair being all the same length is important until you realize it is important. And or at least to me, it was because, yeah. I struggled with it being pretty much all shaved off, but yeah. Well, it just reminded me of the live the miracle thing I do every Friday. Uh, that's one way you're living your miracle and just not getting over where you've been and where God has taken you from and what's happened, you know? Exactly. No, exactly. You know, it's a, honestly, it's a really good reminder. My mom made the comment like of his faithfulness of just the small things like hair growth. It's not taking me as long as other people for my hair to grow back. And mm-hmm. It really is a blessing because as a girl, not that your security is in your hair, but it's definitely something that I don't want to say makes you feel like less of a woman when you don't have it, but it just changes how you see yourself. And so, yeah, for sure. It's really, really good. Well, yeah, that's so exciting. So no one knows why you had your head shaved, but um, we'll get to that in just a second. I wanted to ask you, you just graduated and I know that was even a process because you had to deal with so much going on amidst college with health, but what are your plans now? Yes. So I'm currently working in an administrative position and a recruiting position for a company in Houston. And I am studying for the LSAT. And if I score well enough and I get into the schools that I'm looking at, I will be attending law school in the fall of 2021. So that is the plan, but obviously it can change if the Lord calls elsewhere or things don't pan out. So Right now, just kind of working on plan B and then prepping for plan A. Awesome. Super, super exciting. And I love what you told me on the phone the other day when you said that you're taking a gap year because a lot of people think it's like wrong to take a gap year. What would you say to that? I think it's so healthy. So 
it started out in college when I dropped out for the year that I, it, the Lord just really humbled me because I just always envisioned my college experience being the typical of being like, oh, no more than five years and really just looking at it as being like, oh, people are lazy if they drop out or take time off. And once I did in my undergrad, I realized that it's actually really healthy that you can kind of get your head on straight and also prepare for what's to come. And um, I'd kind of decided that I wanted to take a gap year, but I sought counsel from two ladies at a law firm and they made a comment that the best lawyers that they see and it's kind of known in the industry is that it's the people who take a gap year because they just kind of mentally get in a healthy spot and physically and they're not burnt out from school. And so they realize that they just kind of find interest in the topic of law. It's something that they just realize is really beneficial. And so having that, it was just a really good confirmation that I was okay that I might be older than the average student entering into law school. And so, yeah, yeah, healthy to be able to process everything and work on yourself in between where the Lord's calling your life goals. I feel like that's pretty countercultural for us. So I just think it's really cool that you're doing that. So in this huge accomplishment, you're, you know, possibly going to law school now, but you mentioned that you took a year off from school. So we knew each other because we swam together at Texas A&M. Whoop. Uh, but you're my little sister, actually. Yes. Not literally on the team. And so take us through that because I know you and I are both of the perspective that swimming or your sport is, it's very hard not to idolize it, but it, it is, not the most important thing in life, but it's also really, really intricately tied to your story. So take us through, uh, I'm not even going to say what you had just yet, but even the confusion of starting to go through some health problems. Yeah. So like you said, we stay on A&M together and well, at the time I was recruited, it was number four in the NCAA and then it became number third. And so obviously with such a good program, it's all very intense and you get the top-notch girls like the best of the best and with what comes with that is this huge intensity of doing everything right and properly and like being better than everybody else and when I came in and just being sick and everything it just really made it very hard on me because being the type of person I am I wanted to be at the top I wanted to be the best and so I just struggled a lot freshman year and it was just very hard because I just was sick all the time and I wasn't the best and that's I don't know about for you but for me that's super humbling being like you Mm -hmm. think you're all hot stuff coming out of high school and then you get onto the team and you're like wow I'm at the bottom of the totem pole not even close to the top and um it was just really hard because swimming like you said it isn't your identity but it is part of your identity in the sense that it takes up so much of your time like that's not might not be where you put your stock in like obviously it's in who god has called you to be but it is a part of you and so if you're not swimming it's like a part of you has died it's i like relate it a lot to like a family member and so for me swimming was just very much like a family member like I have it's there 24 7 I have it to go to on my good days sometimes it causes my bad days yeah but it's just always been there and it's always a safe space for me and so when swimming wasn't going so well it obviously your relationship and dynamic changes and then you start to just question yourself and your confidence kind of wavers and really you just <laughs> I don't know. It can either build up your confidence or destroy it completely. And so it's just a very interesting and touchy relationship, especially when you're not doing well or feeling well and you're seeing other people succeed and thrive. And so you just kind of wonder what's wrong with you or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you I've never heard that analogy before. Is that an Elizabeth original? Yes. Yes. Um, so a girl had talked to me. I don't know if you knew Meg Cook. Um, yeah. Yes. So we talked because she ended up having some neuro problems, I think, in her arm or back. And so we had discussed it and she's like, yeah, I went went and saw a grief counselor or like thought about it or something. And she'd said that. And as I started thinking about it, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. If you are losing a sport, that's something you've done your whole entire life. That's like losing a family member because that is something you're spending time with every day. It's something that you value 
It's something that teaches you a lot and causes you to grow. It can cause good days. It can cause bad days. And at the end of the day, it's really a relationship with something that you're having. If it's not your identity, it's a relationship. And so, yeah, I processed a lot of it as like processing, I guess you would a loss. Not that I would really know what a loss is for a very close family member, but that's how I'd imagine it to be in the sense of just, you're just, you have grief over it because you've yeah. lost something that you've seen and done every day and you no longer do. Yeah. I mean, that's the epitome of anyone at that level though. I mean, when you add in the rehab I was doing and, and I don't know what else you do just to be able to swim, I mean, you're talking 20, 30 hours a week. And I mean, that is more time than I ever spent with, let's say my brother, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's really, really interesting. So you said that you were already having health problems when you came to college. When did you first start noticing things? Uh, it was probably junior year of high school. I would just get these headaches that wouldn't go away. And the benefit of being homeschooled was that I did have the freedom to take a 30 minute, an hour nap before. If my school was in order and I finished all my studying, was that I could take a 30 minute to an hour nap before practice if I wasn't coming straight from class. And so it was one of those moments that my mom and I had talked about it here and there and it was just it always went back to oh it's because you're a swimmer it's just because you're training so much your body's really tired the headaches were like oh I must have just been building a lot of muscles and like my trapezius and my shoulders and so it's causing these headaches and there was a few times in high school that I would have dinner and I'd go shower and I'd like throw up in the shower I'd just be super nauseous And it was one of those things that it was like, oh, you overate or you ate too quickly. So it was like, okay, I need to eat slower and a smaller amount. And it really just, nothing seems super out of the ordinary. The only thing that I would say is that I constantly struggled with injuries that happened to do with my tendons, ligaments, and muscles more so than anybody else. And it wasn't like your cliche swimmer, like, oh, shoulder you like blew out your shoulders or you're having knee problems because of breaststroke or something it was always like oh I tore all the ligaments in my left ankle and tendon so it was just it was very weird injuries and so we had discussed that and my coach had also mentioned that my forehead sometimes would get purple and blue and that my veins would just pop out but it was just always like oh that's just the cap on my head is squeezing, like the blood flow is not that great, or oh, the snorkel was just a little too tight. So everything was pretty much dismissed. And as far as like the dizziness and standing up or things going black, it was like, oh, you're dehydrated. Or it was like, oh, it's just because you were doing a lot of flip turns. And yes, yeah, so everything basically had a very reasonable explanation or could be explained away. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it wasn't so debilitating that it impeded on my score, any other thing in life that we just, yeah, thought it was just the growing pains of swimming. Yeah. Well, no, and you know, my story and I, it's very similar of, I mean, it's amazing what you can do when you're being told you're okay. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so I don't know about you. Like, do you feel like you were even processing? Because for me, when people just kept saying, oh, it's this, it's that I'm like, oh, okay, I can do this. And you just keep going. Like you don't, think about it you're just like oh it's that and then when you say it in a list like this or you've processed later it's like oh my gosh that that's not normal exactly yeah it was so I think the biggest one leading up to college was I had a right inguinal hernia but I wasn't lifting any weights and I wasn't squatting and there's literally no explanation for a young female who's athletic and trains a lot and has strong muscles in that region but it's not lifting any weights or squatting to have that. And so they gave it a less than 1% chance of like the statistical chances of me having this, you know, if my statistical chances was less than 1%. Why didn't anybody ever say like, Hey, the reason why these people have it are usually because of genetic disorders or something else is going on. Instead, it was just like, Oh, it's just cause you know, swimming's just super intense. So your muscle just probably got tired. And so I had that surgery going into school and didn't train the first couple of weeks because of that. But of course, and at that point, I was dealing with the AM athletic department, and they just mm-hmm. were like, oh, it happens. And so it's one of those yeah. things where like, okay, it happens as an athlete, even though I didn't have anything that checked the tick marks for you to get a... Yeah, and I don't know if we want to go there and talk about that, but talking about starting all over with doctors, and oh my goodness, of like, 
you finally think maybe they've understood something and then you get a whole new set and you have to explain it all over and um, you're, you're going through this. All of this is like freshman year. So you're already dealing with this and then you're dealing with all the normal stuff of being in college for the first time. And then what does your, your faith look like with God at this point? This is pretty neat because I think growing up in a believing household, it's, I felt like it was really hard for me to know if my faith was real or genuine because I had parents who loved the Lord so much. And then in addition to that, they really built my understanding on not only like the word, but apologetics and being grounded in my faith. And so you can't help but wonder, you're like, oh, I've never been through anything hard. I've never really experienced these things. I've never really been tested. And you just kind of wonder, oh, is my faith real? And so for college, for the first time ever, you're actually getting to experience like your your faith and what you're choosing to live out and your pursuing of the Lord without having parents who remind you or help you along. And so it was really neat because I grew a lot freshman year, especially my relationship with the Lord. I got plugged into a great church. My small group was phenomenal. I was being discipled. My discipler was amazing. It was just one of those things that I'd always personally struggled with just spending time in the word and sitting quietly in the Lord's presence. And she just helped me grow in that area so much. And which also really, I think, helped with everything at the end of the day was having friends outside of swim that I was really close yeah. with in community. And it always goes back to community, community, community. I'm a huge believer in community. As I was struggling throughout everything, it was really nice because I didn't have to think of swimming with my church friends. And I didn't have to think of like my health problems with my church friends. And if I was just really not feeling well, like they would lay hands and pray for me, which is super cool looking at it. And so just as far as walking with the Lord, my freshman year, it's probably my easiest, honestly, for walking with the Lord throughout college was my easiest year because I just had an amazing community and people who were pouring into me. And yeah, I was able to get plugged into a church and serve in that way. Interesting. it was a really nice confirmation that my walk was my own because it was me choosing to do this. So I'm just curious because you don't hear many people say, oh yeah, my parents were great at teaching me apologetics. What were some of the things your parents did that you're really grateful as far as building your faith? Yeah, so it was really neat because being homeschooled, we weren't in a house, my mom teaching us everything. We were in a co-op, so it means different moms teach different classes, but the parents still have a say in the curriculum and everything. And we only attend class one to two times a week. It's kind of almost like college. And then your parents are still instilling stuff and teaching it at home. And one of the things is that the moms wanted us to be grounded in what the world has to say and what the word has to say and to be able to like just bridge those two. And so we actually took courses who were taught by Ken Ham and Ravi Zacharias. And so this started in middle school. Yeah, it started in middle school of just hearing, okay, like, how do you lovingly tell somebody you believe this without offending them? And then like, why do you believe it? And so we got anywhere from the science to creationism, all the different views on creationism, why each people believe that to anywhere from like, okay, why other like politically why do christians historically vote this way and like what the word has to say even though it doesn't explicitly say this and so the whole goal of the parents are really to let us own our own faith and so that we would have a better grasp and understanding and it's really interesting because none of us i would say per se came out with the exact same view on like what we believe in that sense but we're owning our own faith and so we are all figuring that it out and i think that was really great that our parents just all understood to equip us and that they wanted us to own our faith and know what we believe and why we believe it. Even if it differs a little bit from our parents, they'd re- much rather us like have that skill yeah. than to just say like, oh, well, I believe this because my parents believe. And so it was really neat when you're, again, in community with other people, especially with schooling, and they understand that like knowing why you believe is an integral part of your life and yeah. is also really part of schooling because it changes the way you view certain subjects. Yeah, that's so cool. I actually didn't know that part. So talking about your parents, I know your mom had a lot of her own health struggles and I don't we I don't think we've gotten to the depth and, and dark, dark places yet, but just what did she have and then how did she help you through your own misdiagnoses and everything going on? Yeah, so it's super interesting. It actually starts as a kid for her. 
um, at the age of 10, she had a brain problem that was undiagnosed. And she reminded me, she's like, way back in the day with no MRIs. And, um, so that's just another blessing that you're like, wow, thank you, Lord, that I had an MRI to be able yeah. to see. But she was having some brain problems and ended up dropping out of school. And she had to have somebody come school her at home for a year. And she would pass out and had these like migraine level headaches. She was on medication for them. And uh, her mom was a believer. And so she said she would just take her to like one healing service after another, after another. And they were finally just at church one day on a Sunday. And they said, if anybody wanted prayer to go up. And my mom said she just like stood up and started walking and her mom was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I want prayer for healing and got prayer for healing was instantly healed. And it was one of those things that she walked out. I think she was like 11 at this time, 10 or 11. But the word that her mom gave her at that age was that you're going to need to eat clean. Like I heard hmm. specifically from the Lord is that you need to like watch what you eat and eat clean. And so as a 10 year old, you're like, why would you tell me this? Why would you speak this over me? And further down the line, she hits 40 and almost exactly at the age of 40, she started having all of these health problems that her heart would race, like her arm. She just started getting pains, but she had eating problems and digestive problems. And so they kept looking and I think it was like five to seven years later, it was pretty shortly before I came to college, I would say that she was diagnosed with um, gastroparesis. And gastro I don't know what that is. Okay. No, yeah. So it's when part of your stomach basically dies and you just can't digest food very well. But the thing was, is that there was no explanation why she had it. And this one doctor, she went from doctor to doctor to doctor because they're like, oh, let's give you a psych evaluation. It's all in your head. It's mm -hmm. kind of, yes, one of those things that she's like, trust me, it's not all in my head. Like my pain is very real but especially with the eating problems. And so she had one doctor who just listened to her and they just decided to do a test. And they saw that like her food just sat in her stomach and her stomach just wasn't working. And she was diagnosed with gastroparesis, but she wasn't a narcotics user. She wasn't a smoker. There just wasn't, she didn't tick all the boxes or any of them actually to have that. And Another thing looking back is high correlation with a genetic disorder. If you don't have those, it's basically because you have mm -hmm. this genetic disorder, but she wasn't diagnosed with anything. And so she was like, okay, she got diagnosed with that, but she's having other health problems, couldn't move her arm for about two years. And it was one of those things that couldn't understand why her left side, literally it was like it was paralyzed. Like she could maybe move it a couple of inches, but any higher, oh the arm was just frozen. And it goes back to also, there's no prayer too short or not powerful because there's a healing service at my parents' church in Houston. And they didn't get to my mom and the girl was like, wait, let's just pray for you. And she just said like, in the name of Jesus be held. And my mom, in her heart was like, wow, I feel so gypped that they wouldn't pray for me and like stand here and pray for me and that I didn't get the prayer. Well, my mom could move her arm after that. And so the Lord was just super faithful in everything of just, even if she wasn't getting a diagnosis, she didn't have a diagnosis for her arm. He was still healing her in these in this process, just like with her head. But it wasn't until I was diagnosed with stuff, I was doing research and she was too. And I happened to come across a forum where all of them were like, hey, this is a high correlation. They're noticing that if you have this genetic disorder that I was like researching that I had been diagnosed with, there's two sides to it. You can go one way or the other kind of with your symptoms and I'm one way and she's the other way. And gastroparesis, everyone was just talking about gastroparesis and I sent it over to her and I was like, I think you have this too. And it was really neat because, um, in the midst of me getting answers, she was able to get answers. And But her story is more typical of, I guess, like chronic illnesses being undiagnosed at the length of time because mine was really quick in its diagnosis. And So what is your diagnosis and is it this, then your mom and you have ha, both have it? Uh, yes. So what I ended up being diagnosed with is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, so EDS. And I think there's 13 or 14 different genetic types. And so with EDS at its core, it affects your like tendons, ligaments, muscles. It can also affect your digestive tract, your vascular um, system. It just, there's 
it branches out very, basically it affects everything in your body, but specific genetic types can affect certain areas of the body more. So I was diagnosed with the hypermobility one, so HEDS, and um, it can also cause gastrointestinal problems, and there's a high correlation between EDS and gastroparesis. And so she got diagnosed with that, and then as you start reading everybody else, her left-sidedness of like nerve problems, not being able to move her arm, actually is also correlated to EDS. And so for some people, it's right-sided. For some people, it's left-sided. And they don't know why, and there's not really any research that's done. But as people talk, and you're in like not support groups, but groups where you're just kind of running through your symptoms, trying to figure out if it's EDS or not, there's a ton of people who experience partial paralyzation or unknown reasons why they can't move certain parts of their bodies on one side, and it usually just sticks to one side of the body, and it's super odd. They don't really know why, but it's crazy. I'm praying in my head right now. I'm like, man, wouldn't that be crazy if someone listening to this? had these symptoms and didn't know. I mean, that would be so cool. Uh, So Chiari, if I'm saying that correctly, how does that play in? Are those part of the same thing? Totally different? They're totally different. Not everybody who has EDS has Chiari and not everybody who has Chiari has EDS, but there is a strong correlation between the two. So an Arnold Chiari brain malformation is what I was diagnosed with. There's four types. I have type one, So it means I don't have a tethered cord. I'm not really having major spinal cord problems, but it's when your cerebellar tonsils are, they dip through your forum magnum. I can't, science, not my strong. Can you say that in like, yes, I was going to say. By your head. (laughs) Yes, in layman's terms, how I understood it, how the doctor explained it to me is when the bottom of your brain which is your they're called your tonsils they are sagging through the hole where your spinal cord goes through and so for me mine went through my c1 vertebrae and into my c2 so it was like sharing that area with the spinal cord and so again not a lot of research is done they don't really know for sure they're, they're just starting to do actually really great breakthrough research on all of this but they think that EDS at times can cause Chiari in the sense of because your ligament, ligaments, tendons, and muscles are very elastic, they're not as strong okay. as they're supposed to be, and they have a hard time growing, that it can cause the brain to seep through. For me, mine is actually totally unrelated. I had a bone that did not grow the way it was supposed to, and so as a result, it didn't come out all the way, which caused my brain to sag down. Yeah, at first I'd ask my doctor because I was like, oh, so did the EDS cause this? And they're like, sometimes we think it does. But for you, I had a bone that just didn't grow properly. And so as a result, my brain just started sagging out and growing downwards, I guess, whenever I was a baby and things were developing. So So talk to me about that of you're a a strong believer. You're saying this bone didn't grow correctly. You just happen to have EDS with your tendons and ligaments. And then this just, you know, happens to let your brain fall through like how do you reconcile that with god being a good creator and making you well and being a healer what does that look like yeah so yeah definitely no mistakes when i was made and it sounds i guess for some people it's like oh that sounds so messed up that i'm really grateful that i've had all of these problems but as god is a healer it we will never be able to see fully see the heart of God because there are just so many aspects to it. But that's like the privilege we get as a believer walking alongside the Lord is that we get to see as we go through things in life, the different sides of the Lord's heart for us and just like his creation. And the neat part is, is like, as I've walked through this, I've gotten to see different aspects about his heart and just how he loves me well and others well. And it's also given me more empathy for people But God is a creator. Yeah, we are not created perfectly. And if we were, how boring would that be that we don't have variety amongst us, whether it's like physical or emotional pain, because relationships wouldn't be able to go as deep. I think our relationships wouldn't be able to go as deep if we weren't able to empathize with people who are struggling with something. And so I think it just adds another relational aspect. Now, some people are fortunate enough where they don't have health problems and that's great. That's great because their walk is completely different. But yeah, there's really no mistake in our designs, in my belief, is that it's because the Lord's 
for the rest of our life is going to be able to reveal something to us that he might not be showing somebody else that we're walking alongside with, but we get the like privilege to share what's going on in our lives with that person and walk in community with them. And, you know, you don't know, they might not be going through it, but they might know somebody else who's going through it. And so in return, they get to like just minister to that person as well. And as far as a healer goes, this is super interesting. It's just learning that God is a healer, but sometimes he chooses not to heal and it's the best plan for you. And that's the hard thing that I think most people struggle with is understanding that the Lord can heal, but sometimes he chooses not to because he has something else in store. And so it's learning to like reshape my mind frame of like why he's choosing not to. And it really just goes back to the word and with Job, like Job had all of these problems and the Lord didn't relieve his pain or his problems. But as like a result at the end, like he saw his blessings come back by tenfold. And so it's really neat because as a healer, yes, it's something we can pray for and we desire and want, and we are called to want to be healed and we want to desire these things, but also we have the opportunity to walk in the light, but also just like to minister to other people and to have a different relationship with the Lord than we could have when we are healed. And so, yeah. Um, I think I'd mentioned this to you before. The best thing advice I ever got from anybody would be from my mom. And because she had gone through all of this was that she said, I would rather just be in pain and talking to the Lord every day and seeking after him than to be healed and to not have a relationship with the Lord or to not be seeking him. And as painful as that is, when we lay down our physical comfort, you really do realize that God is a healer and he's healing me emotionally. He's healing me mentally or physically, but we're seeing healing in different aspects. And when I just kind of took that on as my view of healing, I saw the Lord heal me in so many other ways, more than just physical. In some ways I haven't been healed physically, but through that I'm getting to heal in different aspects of like misconceived notions of who God is or like who I think I am. And so yeah, there's really no one way answer to say who God is as a healer because he's different right. to everybody as a healer. But we get the opportunity to see all of those different sides and then get to talk about it with each other, which is super neat. Yeah, on stuff like this, which is awesome. I, I just love you so much and you're, oh my gosh, such a, a testimony. You're reminding me of this video by Bob Sorge. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about Job and he's talking about how the cruelest thing that God could have done was to leave Job alone. Because then he wouldn't have experienced all of this other things. And you're like, well, God, let Satan do all this stuff. And he's like, but he redeemed it. But he used it to be, you know, create such a deeper relationship with him. And we really struggle with that story, especially, I think, in, in the U.S. where we think prosperity and good things happening are a demonstration of God's love. So... My question for you, because it seems like you have processed through this and you have a strong faith through it. What were the times where you were really confused or you were mad at God or really struggled with God? Will you share that side of it? Yes. Yes. So like I said, the Lord was really good in certain aspects. Um, When it all first started going down, so I got diagnosed through a car wreck with the Chiari. And that was just a Lord moment in and of itself. But as I started realizing that life wasn't going back to normal, definitely, as my sister told me this past week, I stress her because I seem too chill sometimes. But it's definitely something I've had to learn since the car wreck because very much control, like I control my schedule. I've like anything I've ever wanted. It's been in my control. Like I wanted to go to A&M, so I got the times I needed to, and then, like, was recruited, and everything that it's kind of, like, controlling my friend group, controlling, really, my relationship with the Lord, which kind of put him in a, not kind of, it did put him in a box, and just controlling the swim, grades, so when my grades started slipping before I was diagnosed, that was a control problem I was having, because I wasn't, I didn't have a 4.0, actually, I didn't even have a 3.0, which was like the largest slap in the face to me. But then when the wreck happened and I realized life wasn't going back to normal and I wasn't healing like I was supposed to and I wasn't able to swim, that was another control problem that I was having to let go. And 
it was really unhealthy. I started realizing that it was really unhealthy. And I knew growing up, I'd always been kind of manipulative just to get the way that I wanted. But the Lord just really worked on that in me of realizing like my manipulation as a kid of like just wanting things to be the way they were. So I'd manipulate either my siblings or like my parents to get the way I wanted was really a control issue. And that was super painful working on that because I hadn't, I hadn't lost swimming at this point, but I'd lost my control of me being able to swim, my grades, my friends. It was really interesting to see my friend group who all like ended up standing alongside me and like just pursuing me on to goodness during this time and who kind of fell off and was like, Oh, and they no longer could come like have lunch with me or like study with me in the athletes area and bright. They kind of just stopped hanging out with me and it was like, Oh, okay. It was one of those things that I started realizing I just couldn't control anything. And that's really hard with the personality type that I have that I just couldn't control anything. And that probably caused a lot more crying than actually it did cause a lot more crying than it should have just because everything was out of my control and the Lord was just working through me and I couldn't understand his goodness in the midst of it all because of course it's like oh God's being good to me because I can control everything in my circumstances which totally is not true actually we're probably best when we're not controlling our circumstances and so Mm -hmm. It, it was just really hard. That was like the first step. The second step was that um, I just was really struggling to connect with teammates. And I thought this was long term. And so it was one of those things that the girls in my, my class, I got like a lot of flack from them. And I was just really struggling with all of that. And realizing not only is that out of my circumstances, but physically, I can't do anything to bridge this gap. And being an athlete, you're always like, oh yeah, you know, you can, you can prove yourself and establish yourself through your athleticism. So instead of it being through my athleticism, it literally is just like based off of your personality and what you believe. And when I started realizing that my beliefs weren't, I didn't really have any common beliefs with really anybody in my class or a lot of the girls on the team that made it even more difficult because then it was like struggling to fit in and I'd never struggled to fit in before. And so the Lord had to like just walk me through that it's okay not to fit in or not to have your best friends be your teammates type of deal. And then it moved on to the whole like, oh, the health problem's going to take longer and timing and just realizing that the Lord's timing is better than my timing. And obviously, you know, you're like, clearly the Lord doesn't love me if his timing isn't my timing type of situation and realizing that his timing is perfect and above all. And it was just really hard because there's a lot of questioning of like, okay, does he really want what's best for me in life? Does he really want what's good for me in life? And that doesn't really matter because like my perception of that was wrong at the time. And so the Lord was just walking me through that. It was hard. And definitely where the straw that broke the camel's back though is uh, when I realized I was dropping like out of school. And on that actually same day, the gentleman who had hit me had sued me. And so it was like 7 a.m. in the morning and I got a knock on the door and I had been served and I looked at the lawsuit papers and it goes back to another teammate, Raina, who just loves the Lord. And she was my roommate. Went into her room, just started crying because I hadn't processed anything yet, really. And she just told me to go read the word. <laughs> and I just, you know, in that moment, you don't want to like punch him in the face, but you kind of want to punch him in the face. You're like, I just want human comfort and somebody to tell me it's going to be Okay. And um, she's like, no, just go read the word. And it honestly was the best advice ever given to me. Oh, way to go, Raina. Yeah. And so went in and just fell on James 1, 2, through 4. And it's like my brother encountered a joy when you fall into various Mm -hmm. trials. For the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work completing you so that you lack in nothing. And it was in that moment just struggling with like, I can't lose swimming, I can't lose school, I can't lose these friends. Everything that I was really wondering, like, Lord, is this really like, why would you just bring me here and have this amazing opportunity and then just suddenly start stripping it away? I just didn't understand why he would do that to me. And it it wasn't, it was just a lot of questioning of like, why, why would you do this? Why? why would you bring me here to have this happen? Why would you have me on the team to have this happen? It would have been so much better if I'd come in not swimming than to have been swimming and have it taken away. And when I read that, it, it just instantly broke in me that I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's joy. I need to have, choose to have joy in the midst of my circumstances. And by no means it was perfect, but I realized like as soon as I had joy, the questioning of why his goodness, like if he was really good, started to go away. I also 
did journal and just said, okay, Lord, I'm laying it down at your feet. Like, I'm not going to question who you are, or what you're doing. But I, looking back, I was like, oh, this is kind of bratty of me. But I was like, Lord, I want to see the goodness. Like, you're going to show me the goodness and I'm going to be able to look back on it. Otherwise, this is a waste of time. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have journaled. Like, otherwise, this is a waste of time because it's not true. But yes, definitely just questioned everything of like why he would bring me to this, to have this amazing opportunity to then suddenly go through these circumstances and yeah, to have it kind of slowly taken away. And then also kind of wondering if like, well, Lord, do you want me to just struggle more than more people on the team? Is that like why you have me on the Mm -hmm. team to show that like my struggling can be like a light? And then you're kind of like, wow, that seems like an awful situation for the Lord yeah the lord to put you on a team for you to be the one who struggles like, okay thank you am i a martyr like yes exactly like don't you care about me like that's great and like if that's your will okay but like am i supposed to be in this much pain for that yes and that's it gets to the point where you're like wow i really don't want to be a martyr i don't want to be the person who struggles all four years doesn't improve has all of these health problems just to be a light and just like that was not a heart's desire of mine. I don't really think that maybe the heart's desire is to be the person who struggles. And like you, you carried yourself so well throughout it all. It was a great example of just like how to show the love of Christ in the midst of struggling through physical pain, but also where your plans not being where you want them to be. And it was just, yeah, a great example you had set before. And it was really nice because it was one of those moments that it's like, okay, well, if I am to struggle like I can do this and I can love on teammates well but Lord just please really don't let that be my plan and um like clearly that that wasn't the plan but yes no definitely for somebody who hadn't really gone through any trials and tribulations and at one point in her life was praying like Lord I want a trial like I want to know my like belief in you and my faith is real and that I'm present to you looking back I'm like that's the stupidest prayer I've ever prayed to be like Lord give me trials because now looking but it's it's an awesome prayer because can you imagine your life without them now exactly no it is and looking back I was like I didn't even need to pray that because the Lord would brings everybody through struggles to have them press into him but the thing was, is that looking back, I was like, mine were coming in due time. I don't know why I was praying for them to hit quicker than they were going to. Going to. And so, yeah, it was a great opportunity to just grow in that aspect. Sorry, I feel like that was a really long explanation. to just Oh, no, that's great. Pray. So I do want to go to swimming a little bit. Help me with the timeline here. So you are half Filipino, and we can explain that to people for, for the selection process. But you, at one point, were talking about making the Olympic team the filipino team um and then all this happened was that in high school and then you came to college what was the final nail in the coffin when you lost swimming and was that your choice what what did that look like yes and no so yes my last race I was, yeah, explaining this was that um, I thought I made the olympic team and then realized a couple weeks later that I hadn't and it was one of those things that it was like, okay, I have four more years. This puts me right out of the next Olympic year. As soon as I graduate, I would just need to stay and train an extra year, which I was like, oh, I can just get a master's at that point. Mm-hmm. Like everything was 2020. Actually, even so, not swimming wasn't an option, even through all of the surgeries, even my last surgery where they ended up taking out part of my brain. It just not swimming wasn't an option. So the whole goal was to be healthy. And there's wait list for some of the doctors that I was on and I just called and the Lord totally opened doors if I just explained I was like hey I'm like a D1 swimmer I'm on the Philippine national team like swimming really does have a timeline as you know like when you're out for so long it's close to impossible to just get back and if so it was getting to the point where I was like, I'd, all I know is I don't want to be working my whole other three years of college to be getting back to where I was, because then that just seems like such a waste of time, even though it's not. So yes, everything was still very much swimming. I actually was, uh, when I dropped out of school for it all, I was still on the national team. Even when I wasn't training, they'd still put me on it the following year. And I was oh, like, wow. I'm not even swimming. I'm having surgery, but I was put on it anyways. 
because of where my times were. And so that just really helped me keep going because I was like, okay, I am going to swim. So I saw my first doctor and um, had like my first experimental surgery where they put stints in my brain or yeah, in the veins in my brain. And it was like, okay, I think I'm pretty good to keep going. And then realized I wasn't good to keep going. It fixed some of the problems or helped minimize some of the problems, but not enough to be back in the water. So during this time, my coach, my club coach, he's phenomenal, just a great guy. He let me come and help him coach. And uh, that really just fit with like my health. So if I wasn't having a good day, it was okay. I didn't have to show up. If I was having a good day, then I could show up. Yeah. So everything was just like, okay, as long as I'm around the water, I'm going to keep swimming. At least I'm keeping everything fresh in the back of my mind and I'll know where I'll need to start when I get back in. And then I had my final surgery where they took out part of the brain and I actually started getting back in the water before that. I couldn't even like get water on my scar yet or on my wound for the shower even, but I was in the water kicking and I would just kick for a couple of hours a day and um just was like okay this is a decision that I wanted and I ended up coming back into school wasn't on the team yet because it was halfway through the season but I started training with the club team that was at A&M to get back and as I started more intensely training I started noticing that a lot of the symptoms were being exacerbated and yeah, things were just progressing like they were before. And even though in my day-to-day life, I was seeing a lot of relief and swimming, there wasn't much relief. And I was having more problems in certain areas. Yes, so I was diagnosed with an autoimmune POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And basically, your blood pulls and it um, you have blood circulation problems, but it pulls. But if you bend over or stand up too quickly you can pass out or things go black and so in flip turning things had always gone black but never like this before it was borderline kind of blackout pass out um flip turns and so I just talked to my doctors about it and we thought that I would still be able to go and then I ended up having an MRI because I was having some residual problems and my doctor in New York just basically was like, hey, you have cervical spinal instability. So my cervical spine being unstable means that I'm still at risk for paralysis. And so it was just kind of one of those moments that they were like, you really shouldn't be doing anything aside from like leisure swimming. And so I asked him, I was like, what's leisure swimming? And he was like, oh, you know, about a good like two to maybe 400 yards. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's not even warm up for us. And so it was one of those moments that they were like, you can continue swimming at your own risk, but you're just going to make things worse. Chances are you'll make things worse, but like leisure swimming is really good rehabilitation, but intense swimming isn't. I couldn't, like, I'm not ever supposed to lift. I'm not supposed to lift anything heavier than 10 pounds. And I just kind of looked at it all. And it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, well, I can't do full practices. I can't lift. I can't do a lot of stuff in the weight room. And so also talked with school doctors and school doctors were like, chances are we won't medically release you. So it ended up partly being my choice, but also not because I definitely could have gone and trained on my own and still swam for the national team. But it was just one of those things that I just knew the Lord was closing the door. And so the door was closed. Yeah, it was hard, but good. Yeah. And then going back to the whole grieving thing that you were talking about at the beginning. And so now you have not been swimming for a while. And what does your day-to-day life look like now with pain, but also, you know, anything else that you want to share? Yeah. Day-to-day life is very different. It depends on if I'm having a good or bad day. I can say now that I've graduated, I've had so many more good days that I've been working out almost consistently every day, which is the, actually the, first time really since all of this happened and yeah it is but it took almost three years to get to that point of um yeah just being able to be healthy enough when I was in school wake up go to class if I couldn't go to class A&M's amazing with their disability services I had modified attendance so basically I just sat with my profs like every single one of them and I could miss class as long as I like stayed up on things and it couldn't mark like they couldn't take it off of my grade And so that was really nice because I got to build relationships with professors, but um, I'd either go to class and then come home, basically do homework. When all of this happened, I stepped out of leadership for church, like leading small groups. I 
dropped out of most orgs except for one, um, Fellowship of the Christian Athletes. They were amazing throughout it all. They were like, please come back. You're no longer a student athlete, but you've been in that space and capacity. And so Bill and John and Johnston were just mm -hmm. amazing in that sense of just loving me so well throughout it all. Yeah. And yeah, well, Monday nights was really the only thing that I had something, which was our SCA meetings. And then Sunday nights, we had our leadership meetings and everything else looked like just school and being at home. So now that I've graduated, my day literally looks like I wake up, I work, I'll start to study for the LSAT, and then I'll go work out. Yesterday wasn't a good health day, so like my bad days, I just decided not to work out. I didn't study for the LSAT. Instead, I just watched a movie with my roommates. As far as pain goes, I've learned what makes it worse. I've learned like, I know I can't look at a screen for too long because otherwise my eyes will start having like vision problems. So with work, that's been really hard. I had to get like blue light blocking glasses to help minimize the headaches it gives me and the like the eye problems it gives me and day-to-day -day pain though. It's, it's every day is different. There are some days that I just wake up and it is like, wow, I feel so much better than I did yesterday. I can do everything. And then there's other days that uh, the chronic fatigue that I was diagnosed with just really kicks my rear end. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to yeah. just crawl out of bed barely and start working. But mm -hmm. yeah, headaches, I still get headaches. Chiari headaches is really what they are because I can't really take ibuprofen and they go away. They're just there. So I've learned to cope with them. I have some stuff that my doctor suggests that helps with spinal alignment to help alleviate the head pain, but it's really interesting. You put water in a bag, and sometimes I'll do that, and you put a strap around your chin, and it just pulls your chin up to help relieve. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. It almost looks like you're being hung <laughs> if you see it, yes. You're not putting that on Instagram or anything? Oh gosh, no. Everyone's <laughs> probably like, you're so weird if so. I would think the same thing too. But yeah, the problem that I was having, not really anymore, was just like joints were hurting, my ankles, my knees, my elbows, my wrists, nerve pain. Sometimes I deal with that too, but a lot of it, I just understand that stretching helps. How I eat has a huge mm -hmm. impact on everything. I also have eating problems or like food problems. So yeah, recently I've been transitioning to like plant-based yeah. Going like vegetarian, basically almost vegan of just like trying to help with inflammation and other yeah. things like that. But yeah, every day is very different. There's no set one day. I don't always wake up with like a bashing headache or with just my energy being completely in the toilet. Some days are good. Some days are bad. Yeah. So tell everyone about the spoon theory if they're not aware of it because I just heard of this I don't know a month or two ago and and how you've used it to help describe it to people or even to yourself yes oh my goodness as you know I just love this because it gave me a voice in the midst of my circumstances because when you're talking about pain pain is so subjective to people mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that like I had appendicitis waited 24 hours like passed out due to the pain, was sweating. My mom was like, oh, maybe it's West Nile. Definitely was not West Nile virus. Um, definitely was appendicitis. But I remember I just like went to the ER and when we were there, they were like, oh, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is it? And I was like, oh, I remember telling them an eight, but a 10 is where you're crying. And after 24 hours, I finally started crying because of the pain. And I was like, well, that's not what I would classify as a 10. So everybody's view of pain is so different that yeah. you can't really say not only pain but also energy levels um a girl happened to explain it to me and a doctor did too is the spoon theory is basically you wake up with a set amount of spoons in the morning and each activity takes a, a certain amount of spoons away so say i wake up with 12 spoons today getting ready for me i realize getting ready takes a lot of energy out of me and i just really struggled to get up and going in the morning so sometimes it takes three spoons sometimes it takes two spoons so that leaves me with either 10 spoons or nine spoons. Well, going to class, sometimes going to class, we'll take the rest of those spoons. Each class might take its different amount, but walking in between classes and having to talk with people, even though I am extroverted, it's still exhausting to just due to my health. And so everything working out for me, I know that working out is probably going to take the most amount of spoons if 
work or school doesn't. So when you start looking at it, it's a way you can gauge and you can borrow spoons from the next day. So say there's a wedding that I'm going to and the dance floor opens up and it ends at 11 or 12 and I go to the wedding. Well, just going throughout the day, I've used all of my spoons, but I'm having a great time with my family and friends. And so I decide to stay. I can borrow two, three, four spoons for the next day, but I know when I wake up tomorrow, my capacity to do stuff is going to be less. And so when I explained this to my physical therapist, it was one of the best things ever because I saw more success in my physical therapy when we started communicating this way of him going, okay, how many spoons did you wake up this morning with and how many are you at? And when we, I was able to effectively communicate that for my energy or with my pain, because pain sometimes takes up all 12 of your spoons and you literally can't do anything all day. And there's really no set amount for pain for spoons. So when you have a set amount of spoons and you can convey that, hey, my pain is taking up nine spoons today, and your parents or your significant other or your children know, hey, she normally has 12 spoons and her pain's taking up nine, you know your capacity for the day is going to be less than it usually is. And so with physical therapy, he was able to just like adjust to me, like everything, the schedule just to fit it towards like where my spoons were. And so with my parents, it, it also gave me a voice to be able to express like where I was with my parents because of course they were checking in like every day when I was at home and out of school and we were going from doctor to doctor to doctor. They're like, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you know, you, you eventually get tired of being like, it's bad day. It's bad day. Well, some bad days are worse than other bad days. And so, um, and some good days are better than other good days. And the spoon, anyways, the spoon theory just equipped me and gave me the tools to be able to properly convey to my parents and to doctors where I was. on a scale because a scale of one to 10 of like pain or like tiredness is not helpful at all. Yeah, for sure. Is that something that you still do every day or just when you need to as a, like, do you do that with your roommates now? So my roommates know about it. They're so sweet. They like check in all the time. Like yesterday I was having a really bad day. I don't know why, but my, uh, my head and my eyes were just really bad yesterday. So I ended up trying to go to bed early didn't quite work out but it uh yeah tried to go to bed early and so I don't usually directly be like hey spoons but if like something's just really like I'm just really tired I'll just mention it to them of just being like yeah like all my spoons are done for the day and with my parents I still use it with my parents not as common because I've learned to manage a lot of things or just learned how to just really help myself I guess you can say in that aspect of before because everything was so new I was just constantly needing my parents help to figure things out and now that I can figure things out I don't really need to convey to them as much but um for sure when I'm home I don't want to say I get in like really bad moods but sometimes when you're just tired you're not having it and so it's it's easy to be like hey I'm out of spoons for the day just like I've reached my limit and I don't want to borrow from tomorrow and that's Another thing I had to learn is when I borrowed a lot. And so I was like doing great. And then I just crashed for a week or two. And um, yeah, you just like when you have the spoon theory and, or like mindset, you're understanding that when you're borrowing, it makes you really question what you're doing. And so my, my mom to this day will sometimes be like, well, are you borrowing spoons? And I think that's one of the best things that she tells me is like, hey, are you borrowing spoons for the next day? And it makes me stop and think. And I'm like, oh, yes, I am. So this really isn't that important. And to just let it be. And so, yeah, it's a great tool for communicating with family and friends. Yeah. Like, that's an amazing way to say, hey, can you ask me or hold me accountable? And like, you don't get offended if someone asks you if you're borrowing spoons. But it just creates a language. And I think that's half the battle. Yes. Yes. Because how you're feeling and being able to express that, even if you're really good at expressing your feelings, it's not perfect. And this just, I don't wanna say levels the playing field, but it gives it, like you said, a common language that everybody can understand. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you put a lot of common language to to some things of just what chronic illness and pain and misdiagnoses do for people. But before we wrap up, I just want to ask, is there something God has put on your heart that we didn't get to? Is there something you'd want to say to someone maybe struggling right now? Anything that you'd like to say? Yeah. And this is just for me. I learned when I started praying, not necessarily for like my pain to go away. And I just started praying for joy and peace. 
I realized that when the Lord was just so quick to give me joy and peace in the midst of my circumstances. And when I had those two things, everything else just started falling into place. Like where my heart was at and the posture of my heart and the receptiveness of what the Lord was trying to do in me. But not only that, the pain, not that it minimizes the pain, but it starts to make it more bearable. And you realize like your capacity starts to grow because as you're walking in the joy of the Lord and in his peace in the midst of your unfortunate circumstances and in your physical pain or mental pain or emotional pain, all of it, it just changes your outlook on everything and your prayer life. Because I started praying like, Lord, if it's not your will to have me healed, like help me find joy in the midst of this circumstance. And it just, it shifts your outlook completely. And I think it just goes back to, if you're not in the word and if you're not in community, then it's really hard to shift your outlook on not being healed or the Lord not answering your prayers because it becomes draining just praying over and over again for healing. And then I like, I've gotten to a point where I stopped praying for it because I was like, I'm not seeing it. And it's not something you should stop doing, but it's something you should always seek after, but also be able to find joy in the midst of your circumstances. And I think that is something people who struggle with like chronic pain and issues, just health issues really forget is that like, we're called to be joyful as believers. And we're also called to walk in peace in the midst of our circumstances. And when Satan robs us of that, it just makes it all more hard. And it's, yeah, just bringing it back to the basics of joy and peace when you're just walking in joy and peace, even if your situation isn't getting any better, it's a lot easier to get through your day-to-day life if you're just walking in those two things. Yeah, I just wanted to encourage people, like just praying for joy changes things radically in how you view chronic pain because when you're in a lot of pain and you're like, Lord, just give me joy. You're not focusing on your pain, but you're also focusing on what the Lord can do internally. And yeah, the other thing is, is like community. It is so easy not to be in community when you are in chronic pain and when you are dealing with a lot of health problems. But the Lord specifically tells us in Acts 2, 42 through 47, like we are called to be in community. We want to be in community. You need to desire to be in community because I've realized my darkest times have come when I've pulled away from community and I've not actively participated in it. And even though it is more exhausting some days to be in community in the long run, it is more beneficial. And so you have to just kind of look and again, looking at where your spoons are, understanding that like, Hey, you know, going out to eat with friends, isn't great, but maybe you should go, go to a Bible study because at the end of the day, you being in community is going to be better than like, going out to eat with a friend sometimes or sometimes eating out with a friend is community it's just understanding that sometimes you have to push your limits in order to just like mentally and spiritually be in a good place and be encouraged yeah I have a one more question because you made me think of it do you think spiritually like that God can give you more spoons or that you can get more filled I don't know if this is like goes with the theory at all because it's putting you know a Christian spin on it but you know I have some people say well when you fast like God sustains you not like necessarily creates food but sustains you through it do you think some of those you know it's like hey maybe I only have one spoon left but I know this is really important and I'm gonna do it like that God can kind of make up for it or or bless that yes no a hundred percent there's been times that I've been discipling girls and it is one of those things that I'm like I have absolutely no spoons I know I've borrowed from the next day most likely but this is a commitment that I've made to like meet with these, a girl or a few of them and to just like pour into them and to just help them along their walk. And it's one of those things that I know if the Lord's called me to do it, it's something that I need to do, even though I might be borrowing spoons for the next day. And there are days that I've woken up that I've been more than refreshed. And part of like with the Chiari is you never wake up feeling like you've had a full night's sleep. You always feel like you've lacked sleep. So it always feels like you've had like four or five hours of sleep, even if you slept for 10 or 13 hours. And Chiari is a bit different than like the average person, the way you sleep. But there, I mean, like, I can't tell you the last time I woke up and I was like, wow, that was a great night's sleep. Like, I feel so refreshed. That Mm -hmm. just doesn't happen. And, but there are days that I wake up and I'm pretty much as close as you can get to that with Chiari and with all of the other like autoimmune and genetic disorders and all of that, that, yeah, it's like one of those things that I've been serving where I know the Lord's called me to serve or I've met up with people that I know the Lord's like, I've made a commitment to help disciple or like 
help somebody just walk along and figuring out what they believe. And the next morning is like, I don't know why. And it just has to be the Lord because yeah. you wake up with more spoons and your cup is overflowing. And it's one of those mm. things that it's just such a good confirmation Ooh. of God's faithfulness and goodness because it's really hard not to become like me, 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 me. Yeah. And then it's of all of your health problems. And so, yeah, the Lord's just really faithful. Sometimes though you wake up and you're like, wow, I borrowed all my spoons from the, the other day. But more often than not, yeah, there are times that I wake up that, wow the Lord is just super good to sustain me through this and just yeah like you said provide extra spoons yeah well I just don't want people to use that as an excuse like it's an incredible tool but to be like oh man I'm out of spoons like I can't do what the God has told me to do everything in life is attention right just trying to find that balance and, and challenge yourself and surrender and be realistic and keep fighting so Elizabeth, I'm so grateful for your time, for your story. I can't wait for people to hear it. You're speaking to me and just like God's speaking through you to me. So I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And I'm blessed by you and I love you a whole, whole bunch. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. This really meant a lot that you asked me. Wow, wow, wow. I am so grateful that Elizabeth came on the show today. What she said about praying for joy and peace has really ministered to me since the interview, and I've been putting it into practice, and it has been changing my day, my week, my perspective on life. So thank you to Elizabeth. I am praying that God teaches you where you can be diligent and take responsibility over the spoons in your life, and then also where you can surrender them to Him and let Him overflow your cup with spoons because you surrendered them to him and before you click out of this podcast it would be amazing if you enjoyed this show if you would go to itunes and leave a five-star review maybe write a review for us that really helps other people find the show and we will see you again here on monday